Today on the Province Crier Podcast, we have a lot to get to on the show. We will have roadside reaction from PC's 63-58 victory over St. John's last Wednesday. We will relive the heartbreak in Omaha. PC loses 78-74 in that one. And then we'll preview their next two games as PC's got a big week with two top 10 teams in the country as they square off against Seton Hall and Villanova. All right, let's eat. Man up in my city on the roof, yeah. David Duke when I'm way above the hoop, babe. The Providence College Friars. Top for the crossovers. The Big East. The rest of the college hoops world. Setting the screen. Dunn twisting his way in. This is the Providence Crier Podcast. With your host, a PC grad standing in at four feet tall. He is the Providence Crier himself. Mike Surratt. of the Province Crier Podcast. This is your host, Mike Surratt, the Province Crier. You can follow me on Twitter, that is at Providence Crier, as well as read the blog, that is theprovidencecrier.wordpress.com. Okay, today is Wednesday, January 22nd. Um, Got a lot to get to on the show today. You know, PC obviously, you know, playing twice uh, since we last met, and then, of course, they have two big games coming up uh, at Seton Hall Wednesday night, and then that can be seen on Fox Sports 1, and then they got the big game, home game against Nova on Saturday, uh, tip-off for 1 p.m., and that game will be national broadcast on CBS, so um, a lot to get to on the show. Um, I think the way we're going to do it is... We're going to first hit you with the roadside reaction um, from PC's win over St. John's last Wednesday, 63-58. to And then from there, we'll hear from our sponsor, Anchor. And then after that, we're going full tilt. We'll relive the uh, loss to Creighton in Omaha on Saturday. And then we'll preview both Seton Hall and Nova games um, all in one segment. So if you want to go ahead and skip the roadside reaction. I guess I don't blame you. The game did happen last week. But if you want to relive a happier time for PC and not the heartbreak that occurred in Omaha, um, maybe give the roadside reaction a listen. It'll be good. There's some key takeaways uh, from the season as well. So let's first, let's go right to it. Let's get to the roadside reaction. reaction. The Crier is here. Just leaving the dunk. The Friars get the 63-58 victory over St. John's. Improved to 4-1 in conference play. Um, you know, this game was an ugly one. Let, let's call a spade a spade here. Um, pretty much a rock fight throughout. But the Friars scrapped and, you know, they did enough to win. Um, 
St. John's coming in. I expected them to be a hungry team on the road. Um, you know, they hadn't played well in their first two Big East road games. And you know Mike Anderson was looking to change that. Um, and early on, the Friars, off to their typical slow start, which seems to be a bad habit of theirs. Um, luckily, this time, they cut the, uh, <clears throat> the stand time for all the fans in half. Instead of taking five minutes to score, they take two and a half minutes. But uh, Friars do get on the board, but start off slow against the Johnnies. And, um, you know... <clears throat> It was one of those games where you felt like the Friars should have, you know, put the pedal to the metal and uh, blown these guys out. But then another part of me thinks, like, they're kind of lucky that they got out out of there with the win. Um, you know, St. John's, it was kind of interesting. I'm surprised that St. John's wasn't as eager to get into their press and, like, push the tempo. Um, you know, I talked about it in the last episode where I felt that St. John's would want to speed up the game. I feel like Providence would just buy into that and let them speed up the game, even though the Friars themselves, they kind of want to play slow here. But, um, you know, I I was surprised. They really didn't push the ball like I thought they would. Um... The press was prevalent, but it wasn't, you know, at you all the time. Um, Early on, they did press, but, you know, tip of the cap to the crier. He mentioned the possibility of three-guard lineups of Pipkins, Duke, and Malik White. And, you know, I think it was kind of forced in this game because you don't have Reeves. You don't have Holt. Uh, Those two guys were announced out an hour or so before the game. But, um, you know, the Friars used that three-guard lineup. They did a really good job of breaking the press. And I think St. John's kind of decided to get away from it um, after that and kind of conserve their energy and just be in a rock fight with the Friars. Um, But, yeah, it, it was one of those games where early on you're like, oh, PC might be in trouble here. But they, they, they turned a corner. And, you know, they built a five-point lead by halftime, which is good. Meanwhile, I'm trying to merge lanes here because we have construction on 95. Always fun. One moment here. All right. So, yeah, I mean, the Friars, they get a five-point lead at the break. And, you know, I'm sitting there at the dunk and thinking to myself, you know, feel like we could be up more, but at the same time, I feel like we could be losing this game. It was just a weird game overall. Um, you know, you look at the numbers overall, uh, the team stats, pretty dead even. Um, but it, it was totally contested game throughout. Um, a, a big moment in the game was Mustafa Haran picks up his fourth foul very early into the second half. Um, you know, obviously he's St. John's second best player. Um, so he had to sit for a while. Although Ken Anderson, or excuse me, Mike Anderson, did bring him back into the game with like nine and a half minutes to go. That was a pretty risky move. It ended up paying off because he didn't fell out. And on top of that, he got you a few points. But uh, you know, you know that, that was big. I think to have him 
have to sit most of the second half. But then, a few moments later, Diallo picks up his fourth with about 11 and a half minutes to play. And I'm thinking to myself, oh no, like what are we going to do? Diallo himself had a great game tonight, I thought. Um, hitting the mid-range shots, hitting a few threes. Um, a very solid game from Diallo in terms of uh, points. And to lose him with about 11 and a half minutes left in the game, I, I thought we were screwed, to be honest. I mean, I know St. John's isn't the greatest team, but to have a guy that you've kind of leaned on for two years now have to sit out with four fouls with 11 and a half minutes left in the game, it was a big moment for the Friars, and they answered the bell. Give them credit. Um, it definitely wasn't pretty, but they were able to survive that. And Diallo picks up his fourth with 11.30 left in the game. And um, they end up sitting him until, like, the three-minute mark. So, really, the Friars went about, you know, nine minutes without Diallo on the court. And they held their own. So, so give them credit for that. Um, again, this game wasn't pretty overall. Um, a lot of guys had kind of up-and-down nights. Uh, look at Malik White. He really didn't have a good game. He, he had one nice drive to the hoop early. Um, and after that, you know, <clears throat> missed a bunch of threes. There were a few times where he could have grabbed a board and he kind of just looked lost. So a bad game from Malik, but you know that's all right. He's been a very good player. Maybe he saw the John Rothstein tweet earlier today where Rothstein was saying, watch out for Malik White tonight. Maybe he saw that and, you know, tried to do too much. I don't know. But not the best game from Malik, but, um, you know, and then you look at the other guard spot with Pipkins. Pipkins had a real roller coaster every game. Um, I thought early on his defense was pretty good. PC did a really good job early of making St. John's chew clock and really make them work on their possessions in the half court. And they got a few shot clock violations. That was great. But, like, Pipkins had some bad, bad turnovers, missed a bunch of threes. You're like, oh, no, here we go again. And then he ends up, I don't know how many he finished with, but his seven points were... Seven of his points were huge points. Um, you look at, he he hits a big three to get him going. And you think Friars may pull away at that point. They don't. Um, then he had that one possession where they, they get a bucket, they get a stop. He gets the board. He pulls up for three, realizes it's going to be a horrendous take. So he passes out of it and it makes a hard cut to the hoop. And... Um, Gets, gets a nice layup, nice finish at the, at the rack for Pip. Um, and that was a big play. And then, late in the game, he has the, probably the biggest shot of the night. Um, PC down two, uh, needing to get something. They, like, they get to Pipkins, he fakes a three, starts to drive to the hoop, doesn't have anywhere to go, stops on a dime, little step back, Jay, he nails it. That put puts PC up four um, with about like a minute to play. It was a monster shot by Pip. So really up and down game for him. Um, but uh, the Friars 
at that point, you're thinking, you know, you'll be able to escape this one, you know, without any more drama. But on the following possession, they have a really good defensive stance. Um, Anderson calls a timeout to, to try and sell his guys. And we get... Actually, no, no. The Anderson timeout came on the possession after. Pardon me. But um, on that possession, St. John's ends up forcing a three. They miss. Um, and then PC, who did a really good job in the class overall... On the night, out-rebounding St. John's all, all game, getting second-chance points off their offensive boards, give up a rebound when it matters most. They give up the offensive board. St. John's ends up hitting a jumper, and you're back down, or you're only up two with about, like, 30 or, like, 20-something seconds left. Uh, they end up fouling Duke. He goes one of two. Uh, ten, ten uh, about 15 seconds left in the game. Johnny's don't really have much going for them, so Mike Anderson calls a timeout to draw something up. Uh, you know, they line in to, to inbound the ball. Cooley doesn't like what he sees, so he calls a timeout. Um, and then after that, you know, they get a really forced. I don't even know if it was a three by Haran. It looked like a deep two, but Duke really made him made the shot difficult. He doesn't hit it. Friars get the board, and that's pretty much your game. Pipkins gets fouled. He hits the two free throws, and uh, that will do it. The Friars get the 68, or excuse me, 63-58 win. Um, so, not the prettiest of games, but a game they needed to win, and they got the result that they, they needed to get. Uh, they came out there with the W. Um, I was impressed with St. John's. I, I Again, I, I think Mike Anderson's a very good hire for them. Um, I think his style will work in New York. I really do. Um, but I was impressed with St. John's. They looked like they wanted to get the win. Offensively, they, they were kind of anemic, just like we were. But um, they battled all night. They kept it close all game where you thought PC would probably pull away eventually, and they never could. So credit St. John's there. Um Rasheen Dunn, who, who I said was an X-factor in the game, I thought he played very well. I hit a couple of big hoops for them. He got that play where we had Dal- uh, Watson for an easy dunk. Comes in, strips him. They get the ball. He, he gets it back. And he just goes coast to coast with a layup late. Late in the first half. Uh, so I was pretty impressed with Dunn. I think he's a nice player. I don't know how many years he has left of eligibility, but a, a good pickup on the transfer market for St. John's. Um, one thing I will say is LJ Figueroa, man, I, I'm i a big fan of his. He just looks like he has a body to be in the NBA. Uh, and, man, like, he... I think he ends up costing St. John's as well because he took a ton of threes late in the game, missed a bunch of them. Uh, some of them were really good looks, thought they were probably going in, uh, but some of them just were very deep and unwarranted, in my opinion. Um, now, he leads the Johnnies in points, but he only shoots 35% from the floor. I had mentioned that, like, that may be something to keep an eye on, and I think his misses were a great help to Providence. I, you know, if you're going to give out three stars like they do in hockey for 
players in the game. Uh, Figueroa is one of those as a negative to his team by taking a bunch of bunch of deep threes and uh, kind of shooting them out of the game. A game that they worked really hard to stay into. Uh, so, but you know. Um, Again, it's a huge win for the Friars. You know, they didn't play special. Let's be real. Uh, It wasn't their best game. But I'm really proud of the fact that they were able to play and keep it together without Diallo for a long stretch of time in the second half. Um, And at the end of the day, they got the win. So that's And they covered on top of that. It's actually pretty funny. There was this old guy that was sitting near me and you know he's intently watching the game the whole time and then at the very end when it doesn't look good for SJ he just gets up all angry and he's like you know I'm a big Johnny's fan like go St. John's like this fire team stinks they can't even cover against us <laughs> and then like in perfect, it just was perfect that the Friars end up getting a backdoor cover, winning by five when I believe the spread was four and a half. So that was pretty funny. But, uh, you know, good game. A good crowd from from the dunk, I would say, overall for a late tip on a weekday. Uh, the students, they were, they, they got a good turnout from the students, which you can see they're back on campus. However, they, a lot of the students left, like, with like a minute left, which but the game was still in the balance, so that was kind of confusing. Um, I mean, clubbies doesn't even exist anymore, so like, where are these students going that they, they have to leave right away from, from the game? I have no idea, but uh, overall, a good crowd, I thought. Um, it was actually kind of funny. Like, I, I said that you know, later tips is the more adult crowd, and you know, I'm all for supporting the kids and being a family-friendly environment, but it's good to have these late tips where you can get a real rowdy crowd. But um, it was funny. Usually they do the little dresses of fryer, get a layup uh, during one of the TV timeouts, and they did that this time, but they did it with, like, grown men. So <laughs> that was pretty funny to see. But um, good crowd from the dunk. Again, crucial result for the Friars. They get the win, they improved to 4-1 in the conference, and now you look at this next stretch of games, and it is a gauntlet, to say the least. Um, The Friars will go on the road on Saturday at Creighton, and then they will uh, follow that up with a trip to Seton Hall on Saturday. uh, Excuse me, Wednesday, pardon me. And then the following Saturday, they get a home game, but it's against Nova. And Nova's starting to really find their groove right now. I think they're a very dangerous team. Um, And it sucks when you have three of four games on the road and your one home game is Nova, and you know that's that's one of the tougher home wins to get. Uh, Brutal stretch, to say the least. So then after the Nova game, they will travel to Butler, I believe, and take on uh, the Bulldogs, try and revenge the loss from uh, this past week. 
And then after that, they get the Creighton back at home. Uh, Creighton is in the top 25. Very good offensive team. Um, I actually very, really like their team. Uh, but they actually lost at Georgetown in their close one tonight. So, um, you know, they'll be ready for that one on Saturday. Uh, and to be honest, I mean, hopefully we wear the retro jerseys. Maybe that'll give us a little good luck. But coming off a loss, I think going to Omaha will be a tough ask. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe they do dollar beer night again at CenturyLink. And, like, God, like, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I think that's a tough game to win. But if they can just get one of the two on the on the road and then come back and, and give a good effort against Nova, it might be okay. A huge stretch, huge opportunity for the Friars to get back into it. You guys won't be hearing this until um, next Wednesday, so we would have already played the Creighton game, but massive win for the Friars. Hopefully they can build on this and just move forward and kind of just grind through this Big East schedule. Um, but that is it from the roadside reaction. I am heading back to Boston, shipping up to Boston. Uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Go Friars! How do I turn this thing off? Alright, welcome back. So, you know, the theme from last week's episode was for the game against St. John's, PC just had to take care of business before entering the most brutal stretch um, they'll face all season where they play five straight games against ranked opponents, um, three of those on the road, and three of the first four actually on the road. So um, it was important for the Friars to, to just get the job done against St. John's. And, you know, then they can go into this uh, stretch here with some momentum and you know, try and eke out three wins in this five-game stretch. And so the first test comes last Saturday against Creighton. Um, you know, in the, the game starts, and the announcers start off by saying that Marcus Zagorowski out for the game, uh, which is huge. Zagorowski is Creighton's leading scorer. He's their leading assist man. He really runs the whole offense for them. And to hear that he was going to be out of the game was unreal. Uh, I guess he got sick. Um, wasn't feeling well. The announcer said he would not play. But then, of course, uh, sure enough, as soon as the first media timeout occurs, he's back in. So, you know, I go into it thinking, okay, he's out. Huge opportunity for PC to really jump on these guys. And then just four minutes in, he, he, he's playing. So I guess the whole Fox Sports announcing crew is just a bunch of liars because, you know, Said he was going to be out, he got my hopes up, and then, what do you know, he's back in. But, um, to be fair, he was playing sick, and it showed he wasn't very good until ultimately what we'll get to at the end, but um, he was pretty rusty. He had six turnovers on the game. He was definitely not himself, um, so PC was able to take advantage of that, but um, Zagorowski ends up being a thorn in the side in the end. So, game starts off. PC comes out strong, you know, they're up 19-11, uh, 
uh, about seven minutes into the game. And then Creighton starts waking up offensively, um, you know, trading buckets back and forth. And you think, okay, well, hopefully PC doesn't close out this half terribly and Creighton goes into the break with a big lead. Well, started to feel that way a little bit towards the end of the first half, but credit PC, they made a bunch of buckets uh, responding to, to Creighton buckets. So they were able to, you know, not let Creighton feed off that home court momentum and, you know, finish the half out strong and, and have a big lead. Creighton only leads the game by four going into the break. Um, and then, you know, as soon as that the halftime, and actually before that, PC gets another break, if you will, quote-unquote. Tyshawn Alexander, uh, their second-leading scorer, um, you know, going into the year, everyone thought he was the guy, and he certainly is a very capable scorer. But he ends up banging knees with Diallo, and he's hurt, and he doesn't return for the half. And But, you know, he is stretching it out on the sideline, so I kind of assumed he'd be back, and sure enough, he was as well, and he ends up making big plays. But, yeah, so PC... Ends up going to the break, trailing by four, and second half starts, and you think, oh boy, here we go. PC gives a quick two buckets. They all of a sudden have their largest deficit of eight when they were once leading by eight. And, um, you know, the arena in Omaha was rocking, and you thought, oh boy, here we go. Um, You know, I've seen this team, they've had mixed success at Creighton. You know, you think about the Cartwright game winner against them, but um, they've also had games where they've gotten absolutely destroyed there. So, um, you know, kind of thought to myself, okay, here we go again. PC's in for it, but credit PC again. They they kept fighting back with hoops. Um, You know, Watson gets a bucket to get him going. Duke starts to go on his tear, which we'll get to because he was just unreal in the game. Uh, Diallo makes a few plays in a row. Pipkins hits the three. You know, and all of a sudden, we have a back-and-forth game throughout the second half. Um, and so, so credit PC, I, I thought there were a few moments in the game, um, you know, late in the first half and early in the second half where PC could really, you know, let this thing go and have Creighton you know, come out with a runaway. But PC was having none of that. Uh, you know, Khalif Young, he was playing probably his best game. Um uh, he was making good defensive plays, getting a lot of boards. He had 10. Um, so you got contributions from a few guys, but mainly it was David Duke, who was just unbelievable. And, you know, I, I've said a few times he showed us glimpses of, of the star he can be. And, I mean, this game by far was above and beyond anything he's shown us so far. Um, superstar potential when you look at David Duke. He ends up with 36 points on 18 shots. Think about that. Like, 36 on 18 shots, that's that's super efficient, especially if you consider a college game um, where guys tend to not shoot as well as they do in the pros. Um, to be able to score 36 on 18, like, how many shots would, would Marcus Howard need to get that? I mean, granted, he gets the line a lot, and, you know, Duke did a solid job doing that. He attempted seven free throws, hit six of them. But, I mean, like, I feel like Marcus Howard would have to chuck up a few more than 18 shots to end up with 36, but that's just me. Um, But, yeah, he was 12 of 18 overall from the floor, six of eight from deep. And, you know, it's funny, 
as soon as he committed to PC, obviously the instantaneous, you know, guy you want to compare him to is Chris Dunn. They're built in a similar mold, uh, tall, athletic guards, quick. Um, but I'll tell you, Duke has a way better looking stroke than, than Chris Dunn ever had. Um, his jumper looks nice. I mean, I don't know. I'm not much of like a, a jump shot expert, so I don't know if it, it maybe his release might be too long for the pro game, but he's shown to be a very capable three-point shooter. And you think about this, they moved back the line for, for college. So um, I think Duke is well on his way to being a very good player and a top pick in, in NBA draft. Maybe not this one, but, but one down the road, you know, if he elects to stay and kind of go the route of Chris Dunn and really develop his game at PC, um, I don't see why he wouldn't be a top pick down the line here. Like, like not, you know, maybe not top five like Chris Dunn. Granted, Chris Dunn's class was a little weak, but I think he can be a lottery pick type player. I, I really do. Um, I mean, I, I don't see why not at this point. Um, to, to, to do what he did on the court, against Creighton in a hostile environment was something to behold. Uh, so an excellent game from him. Uh, he ends up scoring PC's final like 15 or 13 points. That included three straight threes he made. It was just uh, like everything. He, he literally did everything he could to get PC the victory. Um, you know, he hit those threes and then, you know, he had one bucket where he had a nice post up. Um, just an unreal game from Duke. And he, like I said, did everything he needed to do to, to, to get PC in the spot that they wanted to be at to win the game. And sure enough, you know, he gets fouled, he goes to the line, hits one of two. That puts PC up five with 140 left. And you're thinking, all right, I know it's not over yet. I know this is the Friars we're talking about. But I started to feel a little bit comfortable. Then Tyshawn Alexander drains a three. Um. And at this point, it brought up an interesting conversation. I was watching the game with my roommate, uh, O'Rourke, and we were talking about it. And as soon as Tyshawn hits the, uh, the three, you know, Brendan's been astute enough to bring this up several times as the game goes on. Sometimes I just don't pay attention, but I totally agree with him. Uh, Cooley just always seems to use a timeout one possession too late. And... I think in this game, it was a perfect example of that. Um, you're up five, minute 40 left. Uh, Alexander hits a three to get the crowd right back into it. And Cooley's got two timeouts. Like, it's not like he was down to his last one. Um, I, I don't see the reason for him not to call a timeout in that situation. Um, kind of get the crowd to calm down, get your boys in order, draw something up um, to get a good look at a shot. Because, you know, the only way to let Creighton back in the game is is if you come empty-handed in that possession. So you want to put yourself in the best position to succeed on that possession. And I think if they called the timeout, that would have been perfect. But instead they don't. They let it run out. They get really nothing going on offense. And it leads to a Diallo mid-range contested jumper that didn't even come close to hit it. And then sure enough, Creighton turns... Uh, Goes up the other end of the court, and Alexander's there to make make a bank layup. Uh, and all of a sudden, just like that, the game is tied. Um, so, 
And of course, Cooley calls a timeout right after that. Okay, tie, tie game. Let me draw something up. But it's like, man, like, don't call the timeout. Like, if you feel momentum swinging, call the timeout. I mean, PC had everything going for him up five late in the game. As soon as the three by Alexander is the one thing you don't want to give up. Sure enough, they do. And from there, I mean, that's when Crane got all the momentum. And you want to try and thwart that by, by calling timeout. So, of course, he doesn't. And, you know, they end up tying it. And then he calls the timeout. Um, out of the timeout, I mean, I think, you know, it's easy to be Monday morning quarterback with this. But I think the timeout situation is legit beef. Like, Cooley doesn't call timeouts when he needs to. Um, whether it be, you know, even just watch the flow of the game. Like, there will be times where if it's close to a media timeout, he won't call a timeout until there's that media timeout, which is silly because he let the other team get on the run and you're going to wait for a dead ball and then, you know, you're down double digits. So uh, I think Cooley's had that, that issue with when to call timeouts. Um, it's definitely shown up this year. I think it's always kind of been the case. He's definitely one of those stubborn coaches that waits for the uh, the media timeout to, to get his boys. Uh, and he wants to sit uh, in order, and then he wants to save the timeouts for later. But then he ends up not using them, so what does it matter? Uh, so, I mean, th- that was just frustrating. So, I mean, that, you know, I think that second guess is a legit second guess. Uh, this one is a little bit more of a stretch. It's easy for me to say, you know, they come out of the timeout, and basically they let David Duke go ISO. Um, I get it. I mean, he's the hot hand. He scored your last, you know, 13, 15 points. Uh, he's having a career game. He seems to not be able to miss from three. Get the ball in his hands. I totally get that. Um, but what he calls from is just like a total clear out. Uh, let's see what Duke can do one-on-one. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, I think maybe you go with Pipkins in that spot. Call me crazy, I know. But at least I know one thing. I know Pipkins has been in that spot before. So far, we've not seen uh, David Duke in the position, tie game or down a bucket late late in the game, you know, last possession, what are you going to do? We haven't seen him in that role. And Pipkins, we certainly have. We saw it up close and personal last year. Um, similar scenario. Game tied. Pipkins got the ball, got a screen, drove to the hoop, and ended up scoring on us. Um, so Pipkins has that that ability, and I think that would have caught Creighton by surprise, to be honest, if you went with him. And on top of that, it's like if you got him off a screen driving on the hoop, do they sag off Duke to help? If so, then he's got a wide-open three. So, I mean, I, I didn't hate the goal. Uh, to have Duke go ISO, but if you're going to do that, I would do it with a guy that's done it before. And I know Pipkins has done it before. And, again, I think it would have caught Creighton off guard. But, unfortunately, they go with the ISO play. Duke gets a little loose with the ball, um, gets in a tie-up with Mahoney, possession arrow, goes to Creighton, and then, you know, they turn around, inbound to Zagorowski. He takes a few dribbles and just rips a three. Um, over Pip, and, you know, a lot of Fire fans were complaining, like, why have Pip? He's the tightest guy on the court. Zagorowski's pretty big. He's going to be able to jump and get, and get space over him. I was pretty surprised he pulled it that early. 
he shot it with about like four and a half, five seconds left. Um, and I didn't think he would just pull up like that. Like, it was a ridiculous shot at the end of the day. Um, but, of course, it goes in, and then all of a sudden, you know, PC goes from a win probability of 80% um, with, like, a minute 40 left to, in a matter of 100 seconds, dropped in 96% in favor of Creighton after Zagorowski hits the three. So Zagorowski hits the three. PC inbounds. I mean, the game was over at that point. I knew they weren't going to get a miracle, you know, half-court shot to send us to overtime. Like, that wasn't in the cards. You had your chance at winning the game, and they blew it. Um, they end up turning it over. Foul. Guy hits one of two. Game over. Whatever. Um, but Zigarowski drills the three, does the McGregor walk as, you know, the McGregor fight was later that night. And speaking of fights, um, before recording today, I'm sure you all have seen it by now, but Tuesday night of college hoops was just, like, I thought I was watching the WWE. Um, I actually bought the UFC card, and I think maybe tonight's action in college hoops was more worth it than the UFC card. First, uh, in the Illinois-Purdue game, you have a guy in Purdue drives the hoop, falls down, and a player on Illinois just stops on his chest. He gets the boot. Um... And, you know, usually that in itself would be a moment in college basketball where we're like, oh, boy, like, what an ugly mark for the game. And then Kansas and Kansas State are like, hold my beer. Uh, Kansas blowing out Kansas State. Kansas State's having a real down season. Um, you know, going into it, they thought they would be somewhat of contenders in the Big 12. But they've had a bad year, and they're absolutely getting smoked by Kansas. End of the game, D'Souza ends up, stuff in this guy's, you know, meaningless layup at the end of the game, and then just an all-out brawl ensues. Um, you know, Kansas State's bench rushes, like, both benches just, like, rush the court. Um, you know, there's supposed to be suspensions for that. Um, and, you know, this, this fray just carries over from the baseline into, like, like, thank God the student section in Kansas, the way the way it works is like there's a few like standing room or court side seats I guess behind the hoop but really their students are backed off and, and up top uh, in their own little section there um, this thing spills over like into the into the uh, the court side seats right by the student section like it was insane uh, it, it seemed like I don't know if it was a walk on on Kansas State um, who, who like or if he was like a coach or what but he gets into it with a bunch of players. The Kansas players don't like that. Just so a freaking grabs a chair. <laughs> and he's ready to clock someone. And, and luckily for him, I mean, it might not be lucky for him because he's probably going to be, you know, suspended for the rest of the year at this point. But, um, I mean, lucky for him in terms of any further legal trouble, uh, some assistants or whoever it was just miraculously stop him from slamming this guy with a chair in the middle of a college basketball game. It was just something to behold. Uh, you know, obviously the responsible person will be like, oh, that's disgusting. You never want to see that in a game. I'm sorry. I want to see that in a game. That was freaking awesome. Um, I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't want my team to be involved because for Kansas, I mean, you're looking at some serious suspensions. Like I said, just Sosa, I can't imagine him. He's getting at least double digit games. I, 
I, it wouldn't surprise me if he gets the whole season for grabbing a chair and trying to strike a player with it. I mean, at that point, like, you're looking at, like, mouse at the palace type brawl, and you know for a fact the league is going to come, the uh, NCAA is going to come down hard on these guys. Um, you know, obviously a lot of videotape to sort through, but expect multiple, multiple suspensions out of that. That was unreal. Um, if you haven't seen the video yet, I tweeted out a video of it. Uh, just chaos. Chaos ensues at Allen Fieldhouse. But, um, yeah, so, sorry, I got a little sidetracked there by McGregor Walk by Zagorowski. But, yeah, PC ended up losing the game 78-74. Um, you know, I thought the, the, the better team didn't win. Um, I'll be honest. And I'm not being biased. I, I thought PC did a lot of what you need to do on the road uh, to win games. There were Solid at the line, 13 of 18. Took care of the basketball, only committed nine turnovers. Were beasts on offensive class, getting their stuff second-chance opportunities and cashing in on those second-chance opportunities. Unfortunately for them, they just didn't execute down the stretch. And, you know, they've had a few games now where, you know, in the crucial moments, they just can't come up with the winning plays. But on the flip side, in the Marquette and DePaul game, they were able to do it. So... You know, you can only get so lucky in those late-game situations on the road so many times. So, you know, it, it was bound for PC to have a letdown. Because, and if you think about it, in the Paul game and the Marquette game, it wasn't pretty down the stretch, but they made it just enough plays to squeak it out. Um, this time it wasn't pretty, and Creighton just totally took advantage. But, um, you know, on the Twitter sphere, a lot of people were saying, like, at this point, it's, it's Big East Tournament Championship or bust. I disagree with that, only in the sense because going into this five-game stretch, I said if you can win three of two, that gives you, or excuse me, go three and two in the stretch, win three of five, um, you know, those good wins are, are going to propel you to at least get back in the mix so that if you can finish the conference, play strong, all of a sudden you have a decent-looking resume. Um, so just because they lost the first game of the five-game um, stretch here, I, I don't want to say they're out. I mean, I, I get why fans will want to say that because it was so close, and then they just end up dropping it. Like, it was so close to being theirs and, and have to lose in a heartbreak fashion. Like, that's tough. I get that. But, I mean, what's the difference if they, if they you know, at this point, you want to go 3-2, and two, you're going to lose some of the road games, probably lose two of the road games. You want to protects serve on home court so if you think about that um you know they were gonna split they, they were never gonna go in in win at crane and at hole and go you know 4-0 on the road in the biggest like that wasn't gonna happen um so to me it's like what's the difference if they lose this one and win the next one versus them lose or winning at crane and then losing at Seymour. so I wouldn't say their at-large hopes are dead at this point, but obviously it's getting, you know, anxious time for PC. They really ought to get some signature wins on this resume if they want any hopes in at-large. Otherwise, they will have to look at, uh, towards a Big East tournament run to make the dance, which could happen. I mean, you've seen the way they've played so far in the Big East. They really haven't had any... They haven't had, like, a bad game. Like, even in the Butler game... They shot horrifically, but still were, like, within arm's reach throughout the entire game. So, um, 
I think they are a team that's capable of making a run in in the tournament, in the Big East tournament. But obviously, I'd rather it not be that way. And I'm at, rather them go on a run late in the year, string together a bunch of big wins, and then uh, getting at large, similar to that team that like I, I forget what year two years ago I think it was, where you know it was looking pretty bleak, and then they end up closing out the Big East season strong. You know, do enough in the uh, Big East tournament. I believe they won two games. They went to the final loss to Nova. I did enough to get that large there. So, I'd rather that than, than have to bank on, on the Big East tournament title. But we'll see what happens. Um, you know, they did everything they needed to do except ex- execute down the stretch. And you know what? If they, they keep if they keep playing the way they do, if they play the way they did against Creighton, against Seton Hall, they're going to have a chance to win the game. Like, let's call it space bait. Like, if you take care of the basketball, you play tough defense, um, you know, Maybe don't give up 50% from deep like you did against Creighton, but they're a good shooting team. So, I mean, I mean, not to say that Seno isn't, but, um, you know, I think if PC comes in the mindset um, that they had in the Creighton game, I, I think they can definitely give Hall a run. And so, looking at the Hall game, Wednesday night at the Prudential Center in Newark, Seton Hall is now number 10 in the polls. They're first in the Big East all by themselves at 6-0. and They've won eight straight overall. And obviously, when you think of Seton Hall, you think of um, their guard, Miles Powell, you know, in the mix for Conference Player of the Year. I want to take this moment to, to do a quick sidebar on my view of the country's Player of the Year race. I think it's kind of funny at this point. We don't know who's good yet in college hoops yet, the player of the year race is finally starting to crystallize and, and emerge in terms of favorites. And I think everyone that's that's talking the player of the year race, four names come to mind. Obi Toppin of Dayton, Peyton Pritchard of Oregon, and then the two guys in the Big East that we are familiar with, Marcus uh, Howard and Miles Powell. Um, I'll give you my rankings, and I'll go from four to one. Number four, I'm going with Marcus Howard. And I get it. You know, some might say, Cryer, this is just because you hate Marquette um, and you think Marcus Howard's soft and kind of a bitch and kind of a ball hog. Yeah, all those things are true. And I get he leads the league in scoring, or at least the country, rather, in scoring. But he doesn't do enough of the other things to me that warrants player the year type player. I mean... Like, that guy, who was that guy on, on Marcus Keene, remember him, on Central Michigan for, for Keno Davis? I mean, he was a great scorer, led, led the country in scoring. He wasn't getting National Player of the Year honors. Granted, he plays in a uh, mid-major conference and, you know, doesn't have to go up in the competition that Marcus Howard does. But, like, Marcus Howard is just points, and that's it. Like, he's a liability on defense, and... To me, he just tries to play hero ball too much. Um, you know, we saw it firsthand in, in the PC game um, when they traveled to Marquette. So I would put him at four. Number three, I would go with Obi Toppin. Um, at this point, he's pretty much like the flavor of the week in terms of winning it. Uh, he's ni- 19 points, seven rebounds a game, 
really good player. I, I'm not going to question his talent. He is legit. Uh, really athletic, very strong upper body, inside-outside game. Um, you know, he doesn't stroke it great from three, but he's certainly capable of making a three. Um, and, you know, he's just a beast on the inside. Um, but, and obviously, leading day into a historic year, they're crushing through the A-10 right now. They're ranked seventh in the country. Um, but to me, I'm a little biased. Like, I, are we really going to give the National Player of the Year to an A-10 player? I mean, come on. Um, last time that did happen, though, 2004, Jameer Nelson of St. Joe's. Um, you know, they lead St. Joe's to the undefeated. I, I believe they're, on, they're undefeated for most of the year. Um, I think they end up losing one in the regular season. But uh, they end up going to lead eight and losing out. Um, but also, I mean, you look at that team, they also had Delonte West. So, I mean, that was a pretty good team. Uh, and, you know, Dayton's, Dayton's good. Uh, they got that guard, Crutcher, I guess. Um, he's a good player, too. I mean, to me, it just feels like, I don't know, I, I watched the Maui and Obi Toppin was great in uh, the first two wins they got, and then he was great in the loss to Kansas. But I feel like, Ever since then, it's just like, okay, like, this guy's going to be in the race for National Player of the Year. And it's like, all right, well, he's not going against the level of talent that these other guys are going against. Not even that. Like, let's be real. Um, the bomb of the A-10's a dumpster fire. And really, I mean, I've had debates with our friend Justin Haskar, the URI fan, about how many teams the A-10 can bring in. I mean, like, at this point... I think three, like I've said earlier in the year, is pretty much what they're going to end up getting. Uh, Davidson hasn't been good. Um, you know, you got VCU, that they've been steady. But, I mean, I don't know. If you want to be player of the year, to me, you got to do it against the best. And whereas Toppin did do it against Kansas, that's not enough for me to put him in. Um, so, number two, I will go with Peyton Pritchard, the guard from Oregon. He averages 19 a game, close to six assists, four rebounds. Uh, really the do-it-all guy for Oregon. He's been, you know, I, I watched him against Arizona and Washington uh, and absolutely clutch when his team needed him most. And they end up getting both of those wins. Ends up hitting a monster game-winning three against Washington. And against Arizona, he was hitting big buckets and making plays defensively. Um and he really does everything for Oregon. And to me, it's like, where would that Oregon team be without him? Certainly not in the top ten um, like they are. Or they might be out of it now. But, um, you know, where would they be without Peyton? And I guess you can throw that argument at me, where would Dayton be without Obi Toppin? And I get that. But, again, 8-10, that's my bias, like, Give me a guy from a major conference to win National Player of the Year. Because those are the guys that have to go up against the best of the best every night. Um, so, yeah, then my numero uno. It is Miles Powell. Uh, 22.4 a game, five boards, two assists. He's the most gifted offensive player in college hoops. No question about it. Um, more than just a jump shooter. He has the ability to get to the lane and, you know, 
he gets to lane with with ease. It's like James Harden esque in terms of, you know, you look at NBA to pro uh, to college. Um, you know, th- that's really what you can compare Miles Powell to. He has the ability to to drive by anyone, uh, and then at the rim, he's either a gonna get fouled, b gonna make the shot, or c get fouled and make the shot. Like Powell's offensive game is unreal. Uh, through like. He can score at all levels. He really can. Um, we saw it in the Pan Am games. He's able to do it against pros. He's certainly able to do it against um, the best of the Big East. Um, and, you know, it's kind of interesting because earlier in the year, Hall was kind of struggling. Um, you know, they were 4-2. and two. They ended up losing to... They ended up losing a heartbreaker to, to Oregon. They end up, you know, Losing to rival Rutgers, which don't feel too bad. Uh, Rutgers has not lost at the rack yet this year, so they're undefeated at home. Um, so, I mean, not a terrible loss, but, you know, it, it took a little bit for Seton Hall to get going. And on top of that, in their loss to Iowa State, they lost Sandro. Um, I'm not going to uh, pronounce his last name, but they lost Sandro. Um, he was, at the time, their leading scorer, granted Powell has missed some time with some nagging injuries. Um, but they lose him, and then in the loss to Rutgers, Powell gets a concussion. So he is out for their huge test against Maryland. And they go to Maryland without Sandro, without Moss Powell, and they beat Maryland. And then from there, they've kind of just taken off. And Powell's come back and just reasserted himself as that dominant player um, in college hoops. But I will say that seeing all this year, they're more than just Miles Powell. Um, you look at Quincy McKnight, he's a transfer from Sacred Heart. Uh, he played with the team last year, um, but this year he's really you know, increased his role, his productivity in terms of scoring, assists, and he's really the number two guy next to Miles Powell. Um, bit of a role reversal with them. You know, last year it was, it was Miles Kale who was that second fill to Pell, and it was McKnight who was behind him. This year, Kale, his points per game as a junior are uh, go down from 10 points per game as a sophomore to now 7 points per game as a junior. Um, so it's McKnight that's kind of taken his role uh, and really ran with it. But, I mean, Kale's still a capable player for them as well. Um, still very good on defense. Uh, he might be their best defender. Um, but... Kind of a brutal year from him, and he's shooting 41% from free throw. I was watching St. John's uh, Seton Hall game last uh, on uh, on Saturday, and th- I saw that that blurb. I could not believe it. Like 41%, like that will make a friar blush. I swear to God, like 41% is terrible. But um, another big guy to their their success, Romaro Gill, seven two. Um, center from Jamaica. Um, he has had a really, really good year for, for Creighton, he was, or for St. Hall. He was with them last year, you know, put up small numbers in a reserve big role. Um, this year the, he starts for them, and he's their defensive anchor. Uh, no, that is not a plug to the podcast site anchor, but uh, 3.1 blocks per game. He's an absolute force in terms of protecting the rim. Um, 
And on top of that, he started to develop an offense game, which is flat-out scary. I mean, I, I get he's 7'2". Like, if I was 7'2", you best believe I, I'm getting some buckets. Like, come on. But um, to, to his credit, only 7.6 per game, but has scored in double digits in five of six Big East games. It's become a big offensive weapon for them. So, um, you know, when you think about that, you, you look at the Creighton game, Emmett Holt only plays four minutes. Um, that's going to have to change. I mean, you're going to have to rotate Young, Watson, and Holt throughout the game uh, and kind of deal with this guy. Um, I will say it'll be important for PC to, to attack uh, Gill. I mean, I, I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of players tend to get nervous when there's that, that, that defensive stalwart just sitting in the middle waiting to block your shot. But I, I do think the Friars need to be aggressive and attack the basket and, like, drive into him and cause him to, to get fouls. Um, otherwise, you just play into to what he wants you to do and sell for outside shots, and we know PC isn't a great outside shooting team. So, um, you know, I, I would want PC to be aggressive in attacking the rim, even though they have a good shot blocker uh, in the paint there. So, but the bad thing is, if Gil gets into trouble, they have another 7-2 guy. Uh, E.K. Obiago, transfer from Florida State. Um, he doesn't get a ton of minutes. Gil's pretty much carved out his role, and, and, and uh, Obiago plays sparingly off the bench. But, I mean, if their one seven two guy goes down, they can bring in another. So, you know, has a ton of size. Um, another guy, Jared Roden, 6-6, like, uh, guard forward. He's like one of those hybrids. Um, poor man's Alpha Dell. He's only a sophomore, though. Um, he, he'll be, I bet you he'll be a problem, you know, down the line here in the Big East. Um, I think he's their X factor. In all of their losses, he's been held to single digits and was pretty quiet offensively. Um, you know, he's, he's capable of hitting a three, but his percentage kind of stinks. But like Dell, he likes to to take advantage of his size being too quick for, for bigger players to guard him and too small um, for, for guards to guard him because he can just post them up. Um, so he's a good player. Um, and that's what makes Seton Hall so good is that they just have a lot of options. Um, a lot of guys that are capable of stepping up for them. And then, of course, if all else fails, you can fall back on Miles Powell, who is just an absolute stud. Um, you know, in this game, PC's going to need to force turnovers like they did against Creighton. Senal is susceptible to turnovers. They average 13.8 a game. That's good for 207th in the country. Um, and we've had our success against teams that turn the ball over. Uh, Texas, Marquette, DePaul, all those teams um, are, are plus, like, they're 150 plus in, in that department. And, you know, we really use turnovers to, to help us get the victory. Another team on that list, Long Beach State. It didn't really work out against them. <laughs> My God, like, ugh, that loss is literally going to haunt me for months. Like, they're one of the worst teams in the country, and we fucking lost them. It's unbelievable. But, yeah, they, they were ranked, like, 300-something in turnovers. <laughs> didn't, didn't help us beating them. But, uh, you know, and then I look at... Can Duke 
have an on-court performance here. Obviously, I'm not going to expect him to go out and score 36 again, but can he uh, put the scoring load on his shoulder and be that efficient score that he's shown uh, at times this season? Um, I feel like the consistency for him is really the next step for Duke. Uh, Being able to consistently deliver these great games offensively, um, that will be his next step, and I think this game against Seton Hall is a big test for that. Um, you look at, you know, back in the Pan Am games, uh, uh, Moss Powell was very complimentary of Duke, really liked him as a player. Um, Duke, on the other hand, really liked going, you know, being teammates with Miles Powell. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, guys, just a stud. Um, so, it's going to be a big spot for Duke. Uh, I'd be interested to see if he's up for it. Um, and then, you know, A.J. Reeves, he practiced on Tuesday. So, if you get him back, how many minutes does he play? I mean, I, I would say he probably doesn't get a ton of minutes being a first game back on the road, especially when PC played a pretty small rotation last game. Um, but, you know, if they need scoring punch, they might have to go to him. So, we'll see what happens there. And, I mean, I think the big thing here is – can PC get lucky and get a letdown game from Seton Hall? Could Seton Hall overlook PC at this point? I think it's possible. You look at where they're at. They're 10th in the country. Uh, they're 6-0 in the Big East. Um, and, you know, they've won eight straight, which ties the longest in the, the Kevin Willard era. And everything is going right for them. But if you look at their last two games against... Butler and against St. John's, um, they were down double digits a half and had to have Moss Powell go bananas in the second half in order for them to pull it out. Um, so that'll be interesting. I I could see them overlooking us, and you know PC is going to be a team that should play with a lot of desperation, lose a heartbreaker. It can either go one of two ways: you can either fold and, and play like shit, or you know you can try and respond. And I, th- I think these guys have done a solid enough job of trying to respond this year that I think we will. Um, not going to say it's going to get us the win uh, per se, but but I do like our chances. I, I think, I, you know, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll predict seeing all the win, but uh, do I would not be surprised if we beat them. I really wouldn't. Um, we've struggled as of late in Seton Hall, but, I mean, something's got to give, you know, maybe we can buck that trend. Then, if PC doesn't get that game, on Saturday, they got another huge opportunity. Nova comes to town. It's the hottest ticket for PC fans. Um, They make us, you know, they sell it in, like, separate minigame packs, and you can only get it if you get a minigame pack or a season ticket uh, package. Um, It's obviously the hot seller, and expect for it to be crazy packed with the dunk for that one. Uh, 1 p.m. start on CBS, nationally broadcast game. Um, huge opportunity for PC to show the country what they're about. Uh, Ian Eagle and Bill Rafter will be on the call. Uh, obviously, we all love Raft. Who doesn't? Um, but Ian Eagle, one of my favorite sportcasters. Um, you know, I used to not like the guy because... 
you know, your name's clearly Ian, but you call yourself Ian. Like, what is with that? Um, but over the years, I, I've got a big respect for Ian Eagle. Um, he does, he's great at calling, uh, call, calling hoops. He's great at calling, uh, calling football as well. Um, he's got a great voice. He's got a couple outstanding calls, like when the basketball gets jammed in between the rim and the backboard, calls it a wedgie. It's hilarious. Uh, big Ian Eagle guy. So, yeah, you got the big um, announcer pair. You got the national broadcast on CBS. Um, so a huge opportunity for PC to get a resume-building win, which so far they have not had. They've had some nice wins, Texas, Georgetown, at DePaul, at Marquette, but they haven't had that real resume-builder yet. Um, you know, 0-2 so far against top 25 teams. Um, so big spot for the Friars. Nova comes in, though, and let me tell you, they're starting to really round into form. Um, Earlier in the year, they got their doors blown off by Ohio State, which at the time, Ohio State was a really good team. They've really struggled lately. but um, And then they also lost to Baylor in a close one. But um, since then, they're 11 of 12. Their only loss coming at Marquette. They got a huge win to start this 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 tear that they're on against Kansas at home. Um, in a thriller there, they come out with the win. Uh, at this point, you know, they've kind of found the rotation here, and it, it's rather thin. They pretty much go six guys at this point. Uh, it's pretty much Connor Gillespie, Justin Moore, who's a freshman, uh, Sadiq Bey, um, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, another freshman, Jermaine Samuels, who we're very familiar familiar with. He's a Massachusetts product. Uh, and then Cole Swatter, obviously, we are also very familiar with. The guy from Rhode Island chose Villanova over PC. Could have joined Reeves and Duke. Decided not to. Um, but that's pretty much their, the bulk of... That's where the bulk of their minutes are going to come from. Um, the, the Brent, uh, Slater... He gets like 13 a game, but I mean, at this point, they're really focusing in on those six guys. Uh, Cosby Roundtree, he's a big player for them uh, last year. Nope, he doesn't even play like at all anymore. Uh, Robinson Earl has really taken his spot, and he's a beast. We'll, we'll get to him. And then you look at Brian Antoine, who was the number 15 recruit in the country, McDonald's All-American. He plays six minutes a game. This is like the Javon Carley situation all over again. Really must be nice, though, if you're Villanova and you've developed the the cachet where you can just friggin' have a McDonald's All-American guy and have him ride pine all year. (laughs) Must be nice. Because you know at PC that ain't happening, no matter how bad the guy is. Um, But, yeah, I mean, going into it, people thought he had a shoulder injury. Um, So... You know, he, excuse me, he did have a shoulder injury, so it kind of got him off to a slow start. Um, there were rumors that he would get redshirted, but he's played, but not much. Um, since he, he played 21 minutes in the Marquette game, the loss, he had two points on 0 of 6 shooting. Since then, he's barely even saw the court for them. So um, it's really those six guys that you got to focus on. Um, you know, Nova. They're not that, that offensive juggernaut that we're used to, but they're still a very capable offensive team, and they're only getting better at this point, which is scary to say. Um, 
They, I was watching them tonight against Butler. You know, Butler made it interesting a few times, but never was just too much. And how about this? After I congratulate Butler on not being soft and all this, they go out and lose three straight games. Butler hadn't given up 70 points to an opponent all year long. They've done it three straight games and, of course, three straight losses. So, way to go, Butler. Way to make me look like an idiot after I finally give you props when I've shat on you for years. Well, there you have it. <laughs> but, uh... If you look at Nova Sadiq Bay, he leads the way in scoring at 15.1 a game. Um, he's really improved. He, he might be the most improved in the conference. I'm sure there's other guys that I haven't really thought of, but, um, you know, he, he was able to contribute a little bit last year as a freshman, but this year he's really turned it on. Initially a commit for NC State, ends up at Nova, um, and uh, – He's just become a really a force to be reckoned with for them. Really good inside-out game. Shoots about 45% from deep, yet he's 6'8". Strong build, his ability to drive, uh, score around the rim. Like, really good player. He's surprisingly surpassed Jermaine Samuels in terms of that, that, that main wing for Nova. But, I mean, Samuels still gets his minutes. He still contributes at 10.9 a game. Uh, Gillespie, he's not too far off. Nova has four guys in double digits. Or is it four or five? Um, I think it's four, but I mean, it, that's a lot. Uh, four guys in double figures. Um, Gillespie, he's your typical steady Eddie point guard for, for Jay Wright and his Wildcats. Uh, 14.9 a game. Um, you know, he, he's the floor general, the leader. Um, He's cut from the same cloth as the Jalen Brunsons, the Ryan Archidiaconos of the world. By the way, they do have an Archidiacono on the team. He doesn't play much yet. But he'll, he'll be there. Don't, don't you worry. Like, he will torment us at some point. Um, Cole Swider, who I had mentioned, he's kind of their sixth man at this point. Um, you know, he does give him that offensive punch. He's very capable from deep. Um also has the ability. He's got the size to score around the rim as well. Um, but uh, for him, you know, his defense is really not there. I think that's that's what's hurting him in terms of his playing time. Um, but um, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, he was the number 14 recruit, and he's actually lived up to the building for Nova. This guy's an absolute bo- uh, monster. Um, he's like... It's so weird. He, like, looks like he's 40, but at the same time he has a baby face. He's got, like, this forehead that just goes on for days. Um, but he's – but don't let it fool you. He's an absolute monster. Double-double threat. Um, does all the little things. Like, it seems like he has no ego at all, which is rare for these guys that are McDonald's All-Americans. Um, he's the real deal. Really good player. And then Justin Moore um, – you know, Antoine's got all this hype. Justin Moore, he's ranked 54th in the ESPN 100, uh, yet he gets way more minutes than, than uh, Antoine. And, you know, he, he's a really good player for Nova. He's a really good three-point shooter. Um, I, I think he made he made some ridiculous number of threes against UNC in a scrimmage earlier this year. Um, but for me, so, so this Nova team, I think, is... Really, 
a, a formal test. Um, it's going to be tough for PC to get the win, but I think the key for them uh, in order to get the win, pretty much the form, formula you got to stick to when playing Nova, right? Like defend the perimeter and play physical defense without fouling. I, I feel like PC's brand of hoops, you know, their, their physicality, they get away with it more at home than they do on the road. I felt like in that Creighton game, you get a team like Creighton who's a little more finesse, um, <laughs> and it seems like PC always, get, always gets whistled for fouls. Whereas I feel like when they play Nova at home, they get away with a lot, a lot of physical play. Um, so they're going to have to do that uh, and keep Earl uh, Robinson Earl off the class because um, he, he's pretty much Nova's big rebounding threat. But... Um, We'll see what happens. Um, obviously, you know, you're facing two of the top ten teams in the country. We could come back here Wednesday and, and, you know, PC could be losing, have lost three in a row, and now we're looking towards, okay, this is probably going to be a Big East tournament or bust here. Um, but we'll see. I think they get one. I think they definitely get one. Um if they can get this one at C and all, I, I really like their chances against Nova. And I know, you know, that kind of bit me in the ass in terms of the Butler game. Um, but I, honestly, a lot of this game's about confidence. A lot of it's about riding momentum. Um, so if they can steal this one against C and all, th- that would be my, my pick. If they can beat C and all, they will definitely beat Nova. Book it. <laughs> but um, all right, well, that's all we got for the episode. That was a pretty long segment, but I hope you enjoyed it. We will be back next week. All right, have a good one. Go Friars. Man up in my city, I'm the truth, yeah. David Duke when I'm way about a hoop, eh. Cross over, I might go to L.E.U. Heard they sleeping on me, well, let's take them back to school. PC, you know we on go, eh. Feel like A.J. Reeves when I'm off that pick and roll, eh. Down, bounce back like Emmy Hope. I'm the alpha dog, Diallo. They were sleeping on me, that's what made me a savage. And he see me bumping, so we gon' let him have it, yeah. They don't want no static, we at the top just like the attic. This year we taking over March Madness. Man up in my city, I'm the truth, yeah. David Duke when I'm way above the hoop, 